Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now, you've found it. This is Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world. With your host, Alan Smith. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Truth About Trucking Live begins right now. All right, and welcome back to the show, everyone. I had to look at the date, Don. I was I forgot, didn't even know what the date was. But it is Thursday, uh, December eleventh, two thousand fourteen, uh, and this is Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Alan Smith with Donna Smith, of course, my trusty co-host, and our broadcast this evening about minimum training requirements for entry level drivers. This is a really interesting issue, really, when you really get down to think about it and look at the history that concerns this issue. Uh, I mean, the, ju- just recently now, the, the FMCSA has announced its intent to establish a negotiated rulemaking committee uh, that would be cons- uh, that would consist of individuals within the industry or some part of, of safety. Uh, who, who knows? It could be like the MIXAC meetings. But these individuals would negotiate, and they would actually develop the proposed regulations that they would propose to the FMCSA, who would then uh, implement uh, this minimum training requirements for entry-level drivers according to the Section 32304 of MAP 21, the Moving Ahead for Progress in the 21st Century Act. Now, this uh, this committee, the Entry-Level Driver Training Advisory Committee, uh, you know, they're currently seeking, uh, uh, asking for solicitation of applications and nominations for those individuals who would uh, sit on this committee. We're going to talk about that some more also as well. But this is a real interesting issue that, you know, you'll, you'll hear, you know, well, this has been going on for 20 years. This has been going on for 30 years. This issue really, if you really look at the history of this thing, has been going on for nearly 40 years. If you take it all the way back to 1976 when the Federal Highway Administration issued an advance notice of proposed rulemaking for recommended practices to improve training for commercial drivers. It really begins there and kind of brings it all up to to a present day. So this thing has been going on for a long time, this ability to try to establish a minimum training requirement for entry-level drivers. And entry-level drivers means those drivers with less than one year of driving experience. So we're going to talk about this and some several things this evening. Our guest this evening is Richard Wilson. He is president and CEO of TCRG Consulting and Regulation on the web at tcrgconsulting.com, and he also serves on the advisory council as a regulation and compliance representative for the newly established NADA, which stands for North American Trucking Alerts. So a lot to talk to uh, talk about and uh, just kind of discuss the critical need for the CDL training standards nationalized. CDL training standards. There is some training standards uh, per se, but not nationalized. So uh, it, there's kind of a thin line there, but we're going to talk more about that, Donna. But 
the history of this issue has just been going on um, forever. It almost seems well, you, you know, can take it all the way back to 1976, like I said. And and um, I just want to say, and uh, in 2007 they actually had come up with something, but there was so much, you know, about the cost and. Uh, this and that. I hope Rich uh, can, you know, bring us up on that also. But it almost had something in 2007. Um, now, because of that, you know, all that, the arguing and, you know, everybody upset about this new standard, it was going to cost money, it wasn't practical. So now they're saying, okay, let's get a committee together of everybody in the industry uh Let's see, we'll include driver organizations, training organizations, motor carriers of property and passenger associations, state licensing agencies, state enforcement agencies, labor unions, safety advocacy groups, and insurance companies. So, you know what, they're saying, listen, you guys get together and, you know, hash it on out and then we'll see what happens. And this is why it's so important that we have somebody representing drivers, um, and that's why we're nominating um, Rich. And I guess we'll let him. Uh, is he? Uh, is his mic open? Uh, not yet. You got to introduce him. Sorry, I'm I'm way ahead of myself here. Yeah. So yeah, a lot to talk about. The two the 2007 you're talking about was was when the FMCSA published a proposed rule in the Federal Register to uh, to make the revisions and uh, specify. Um, minimum classroom and behind-the-wheel training, and then they scrapped that in 2013, uh, saying that, well, they need to move forward with the training provisions that were called for in MAP 21. So been going on for a very long time, and uh, we're going to get to it this evening. Minimum training requirements for entry-level drivers is our broadcast. Our special guest, Richard Wilson. And uh, if you'd like to call in and be part of the show, 347-826-9170, and we'll get it rolling right after this quick break. And be right back, so hang with us. You're listening to Truth About Trucking live on Blog Talk Radio. Alan Smith will be right back. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here with the Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. There is no big balloon payment at the end, and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. And be sure to tell them that you heard about them on Truth About Trucking Live. Hey, ready, Porter? Man, it's crowded tonight. Care if I join you? Sure, have a seat. Sorry about the paperwork. <laughs> Name's Cole. Appreciate it. I'm Harlan, by the way. Here's a fill-up for you guys. Thanks, honey. Harlan, you look hungry. What can I get you? 
I'll have a Coke and whatever he's having. Back in a bit. What are you doing with all this paperwork, driver? Looks like you're tripping over your trip sheets. I want to get a jump on these taxes before they jump me. There is a better way to manage your trucking paperwork. With TripSheetCentral.com, you're a login away from tracking every aspect of your business. TripSheetCentral.com organizes your information easily so you can see how your business is performing. That sounds easy. And it's fast. Time-consuming paperwork is eliminated with a low-cost monthly subscription. I no longer have to worry about invoices, settlement reports, or fuel tax returns. TripSheetCentral.com does that for me. Manage your business information securely with TripSheet Central. Visit TripSheetCentral.com at your next stop. This is Truth About Trucking Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at truthabouttrucking.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back. Uh, Richard Wilson of TCRG Consulting and Regulation is with us as our special guest as we talk about the minimum training requirements for entry-level drivers, specifically the the, uh, intent to establish the Entry-Level Driver Training Advisory Committee. So, Richard Wilson, uh, welcome back to the show. Glad to have you. I'm glad to be here. Glad we could talk about this tonight. It's pretty uh, pretty exciting happening, really. If you look at what we've been after and what we've been fighting for, um, we're actually they're acknowledging the fact that we do need this now. So that's really good. Of course, I think they've been under a little bit of pressure from Congress, but you know, still, it, it's going to work in our favor, hopefully. Well, well you, they, go ahead. oh, go ahead, Donna. Oh, I, I was just going to say they. Well, they had put out not too long ago about you know the the reg neg. So we kind of knew this was coming, but it, it just the the idea of the nominations coming in. Uh, I think the most exciting part about that is uh, the drivers are much more active now um, on the comments at FMCSA, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of driver nominations uh, coming in. So I, I think that's that's important because, tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any drivers on the MIXAC committee. Is that true? No, there really isn't any drivers. Todd Spencer from uh, Overdrive. Uh, is about one of the only ones. There's some people on there that are supposed to be drivers. Mean? Yeah, from Oida. Uh, you have the one gentleman that has a small trucking company on there. Uh, but the rest of it is mainly made up of enforcement personnel, safety advocates, and uh, uh, there's a representative of the Teamsters Union, so I guess he's an ex-driver. Uh, but really, that's about it. Everything else is either a safety advocate or law enforcement. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think I, I just put up a post that kind of lists all the, the 20 members on MSAC, and, um, uh, yeah, that's exactly exactly the way There's it is. No and that's, that was my biggest <laughs> – yeah, no, there isn't. There's, it's it's really a largely a, of, a, like you said, you know, just uh, uh, law enforcement and safety groups makes up the largest part of it. And, you know, that was my concern on this, on this committee, this entry-level driver training advisory committee, but with your background, uh, you know, your your experience and, and 
background within the industry. You're you know you're very active in Washington D.C. Uh, you know your your track record for safety and truck driver rights and you know the voice for drivers. I mean you're you know you're out there now and you know I know talking earlier on the phone. Uh, you're about to leave, you know, out west. So, you know, you stay real busy with, tell us, you know, we get a lot of new listeners, you know, every week. Uh, just for those who may not know who you are, uh, just give a little b- background of yourself and, you know, what you do over there at TCRG Consulting. Well, basically, uh, I started driving back in 69, 70, uh, and then I went into service, and when I got out of the service, I came home and um, started driving a couple of local companies and then went to work for my father. And uh, I ended up, uh, in a period of about uh, nine years, I ended up with five of my own trucks. And uh, until 1984, when they sold the business, then uh, I sold my fleet off and started working for other companies and went through management and worked my way up and then... um, you know, I worked and I did several different kind of works. I worked for some brokers. I did some brokering work and, and just worked, you know, in a lot of the aspects of the industry over the years. Um, went into regular, it's retired um, back in 2006. I uh, retired from the company I was fleet manager and safety manager for and went into uh, regulatory working for my previous employer and stayed with him until uh, 2013, which in 2013, I left and went out and started my own business. Um, And basically what I do is I go in and help small carriers and large carriers uh, that are in trouble with the DOT. We get them back online. We do training. Uh, I set up training programs for companies. Uh, We go through a three-tier step training program, starting right at the basics. And you'd be surprised how many guys and gals out here that have 15, 18 years that that actually learn things because we have a tendency in our industry to get stale and we start listening to all these truck stop lawyers and before long we get ourselves in trouble. And where this really came from was over the years, and you and Donna know that, I have been pushing for a standard of training and the best thing we got out of it was in 2004 <laughs> – um, they came out with the special training requirements under Part 380, which says entry-level training is training the CDL driver receives and driver qualification requirements, hours of service, driver wellness, whistleblower protection, as appropriate with the entry-level driver's current position in addition to passing the CDL test. So all that means is if you're a motor carrier and you hire a driver that has less than a year with a CDL, you have to give him a form where you check off that you talk to him about what the hours of service were, uh, driver wellness, and whistleblower protection. And, I mean, that's not training. That's just a form you fill out and put in their file. So there's really not been a minimum standard of training. And, you know, and it really comes down to this, whether you're a company-owned school, a private school, a community college program or anything, it's all just based on the necessities to get that CDL. And then uh, I I am an advisor with with a community college here in Delaware that I work with that has a very in-depth program, and they don't just call it CDL training or, or, you know, driver, get your CDL. They actually teach you part of the industry, 
And that's great to have a lot of knowledge of what you need to know, you know, paperwork, documents, retention. But what happens when you put your butt in the seat of the truck? There's no standard there that says you've got to do X amount of things before you are qualified to be a driver. There's a lot of steering wheel turners, but is there how many qualified drivers do we have? And a good, well-trained driver will be retained, and that's the problem in our industry, and we've discussed this a thousand times. We, don't, we, we have a shortage because of, one, money. They're being paid. But, two, these people are out there not getting the proper education, getting themselves into messes they can't get out of, and they're either being fired because the company's interest in them is strictly to get their money back for the truck driving school. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the history of this issue is just is, is just kind of fascinating to me. You, know, you, you talked about the rulemaking back in 2004. Uh, FMCSA issued that final rule on driver training, but it stayed away from behind-the-wheel standards, and it only required 10 hours of non-driving training. Now, when you right. look at the history, when you look at the history, there's been four, four recent presidents who have signed into law acts that, in one way or the other, directs uh, the FMCSA, Congress, whoever, to come up with a minimum training requirement. You had President Ronald Reagan in 1986 who signed the Commercial Motor Vehicle Safety Act. Uh, that that basically just required all commercial drivers to to have a CDL, but it was only based on knowledge and skills as well as you know, but no training behind the wheel. In 1991, no. we had President George Bush Sr. sign the Intermodal Service Transportation Efficiency Act, and that one directed the Secretary of Transportation to begin a rulemaking on entry-level driver training. You know, then and then we move up to uh, 2005, where President... Bush, George Bush, uh, signed the safety lieu into law, uh, and it, you know, so that was one that, you know, same thing, minimum training requirements, and then we come up to 2012 when President Obama signed MAP 21, which required the Secretary of Transportation to issue final regulations for entry-level training requirements, so, uh, I mean, Richard, why... I mean, if you and I was ordered by the president or Congress to get something done by a certain date, we better get it done. How how does FMCSA get by with not following the orders of, of Congress and even an act signed into law by the president? Uh, you know, that is a very good question that, that, that I've asked myself and others that I've discussed this with have asked ourselves is like you you put it in perfect perspective it's like you know hey if somebody you know in government that funds your uh you know your 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 administration um tells you to do something you're supposed to do it and FMCSA has had a bad habit of not just training requirements but across the board you know and and when they do come out with reports I mean, people in the industry that know what's happening down in the trenches look at it and go, this is ridiculous. These numbers can't be correct. They're just not right because independent studies have proven them totally to be completely wrong. And FMCSA just shrugs their shoulders and say, well, that's what we got. I mean, I'll give you an example, and this is going off a little bit, but the BMI thing and, and the sleep apnea. You know, the study was conducted by the, by Penn State University up in the Altoona, Pennsylvania area. They were supposed to have drivers come in 
and do the study. They couldn't find any drivers, so they basically went out and got uh, uh, out of work local people that were all either obese or semi-obese and did this study with them and presented that as, as a ruling to the medical review board to set a standard for, for BMI and for sleep apnea. And the only thing they did was create a torrent with the new medical examiners and certified medical examiners who you and I both know are, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, uh, occupational health people. So they're the ones that are going to own the sleep study station. So they're not going to give you your CDL unless you have it. Well, the FMCSA now is even realizing that. And now they're stepping back and coming out with a, you know, a new uh, proposal on that that's saying, whoa, back down a little bit. You know, this, this isn't working real well. So the FMCSA contradicts themselves, but they just totally ignore what they're told to do and, and what they're ordered to do, basically. And this is just another case. This is probably the longest ignored mandate that's ever been presented to a federal administration or, you know, division such as DOT or, you know, FFA or whatever. This is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is just ridiculous that they've let this go. And you know what? All they got to do is simply go, you get no funding for next year until you come up with something. And when they didn't have money for them to go to their fancy little meetings in Washington and all sit around and, you know, and la-di-da talk about stuff, uh, they would jump on board a little bit quicker. But I think now with the forming of this committee, I think it's two things. I think, one, they've listened a little bit to what's been being told to them. But the second thing is I think it's their sort of, uh, you know, bourbon and sugar for a sore throat type of uh, idea of what they're going to do is they're going to form this committee. Now, saying that forming the committee doesn't mean we're going to get anything out of this in the next 18 months. It could take two to five years before anything comes out of it. But the fact that they are putting the committee together and the fact that people like you and Donna have enlightened drivers and, and had drivers become participating in the government process of their regulation that regulates them has brought a lot more drivers to the forefront and I think on as far as from a driver's perspective, I look at that as a win because they're recognizing there's people out there that know what they're doing that don't have PhDs or are not being hired by some, you know, large 15,000, 16,000-truck fleet. There's other people in this industry that know what they're doing. Well, I think it's, it's a very, very crucial that um – that people get their uh, their nominations in. Of course, um, we've announced, I, I think it's on Alan's post that he put up uh, uh, late last night or early this morning, uh, that, you know, you were going to be the uh, nominee that he's putting in for, for the uh, NADA, which is the North American Trucking Alerts. And, uh, you know, just uh, you can keep nominating the same person. I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing about. So the more Uh, nominations a person has, the better. Right, because I'm going to tell you something. With what I found in Washington, is you got to be visible. Uh, to get anywhere with that bunch over there, you got to make yourself visible. You got to attend the meetings. You know, you sit there a lot of times, two or three or four or five hours, and you know, say nothing. But you, you know, you mingle with the people. You know, you 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 go out and talk to them. 
Uh, They get to know you. You know, when I show up at the meetings, you know, a lot of people from the committees will come over and they'll say, hey, Rich, how you doing? And you drum up conversation. And that's one of the ways you get to know. And then another way is is you feel like your representation or you have somebody that understands and you nominate them and enough nominations come in, somebody has to take a look and say, hmm, maybe we need to talk to this person and give them an opportunity because apparently they have a pretty decent following and must represent the industry, you know, pretty with a pretty high standard. Well, you already go to the Mixac meetings. I go to everything I can possibly go to. Medical review board meeting, Mixac meetings. I live an hour and a half away from DC, so a lot of times I'll drive over for the day or a lot of times I'll stay down there. Um, with some like Todd Dills and I from Overdrive Magazine, or we'll stay in the same hotel. And then af- even after the meetings, we we go out and we discuss it. We go out to dinner with uh, s- several other people from the committee. We get their side of it. We get to give our side in a very informal informal setting. But the thing is, it, you know, you're out there beating the bushes. You're out there making a name for yourself. You're getting recognized. Uh, the Mix Act Committee, and, and to use a very loose term, is still the good old boys club. And to be in that good old boys club, for every time a major carrier will say Snyder, if the guy from Snyder decides to resign, they put Snyder will put somebody else into his position. So there's not really a high turnover of new blood in that committee. It's just a different face, but it's the same representation. This, I hope, turns out to be more open and get more experienced people with daily knowledge of what's going on and can, and can support it and can give feedback into it on what we do need as a tr- uh, minimum training standard. You know, we talked about it earlier, the CR England thing. You know, there's a perfect example. They want they want an exemption that says you pass your skills test at 2 o'clock this afternoon. We're going to send you in a truck solo to go to your home, to, from, you know, Detroit to Iowa to get your CDL because you're going to go on a permit because they haven't issued your hard license yet. That's ridiculous. Well, Nobody well here's graduates. the thing. If you if you look at the CR England comments that that are, and there's a lot of comments up there. I don't think I don't think they expected that much feedback from drivers. No, um, I don't CR either. England. Okay, they tried yeah. to slip it through there, and I don't think FMCSA expected all those comments. But pretty much across the board, it agrees that a new. Um, CDL holder, has no right being in that truck with the trainer sleeping in the bunk. And, I mean, that was, they felt that way even after they had their hard copy. And now I think what really put people over the edge is now you just want to take them out of school that has no standards, okay, that mm-hmm. half the people who come out of them have no idea what they're doing, depending on the school. Some of them are pretty good. If you go to a tech school, a, you know, a Votech, something like that, um, right. and there are some very good schools. However, a good majority of them are not. And since there is no standards, you don't know which school it is, okay? And right. uh, even the, the people coming out of CR England school didn't feel it was that, um, it was that you know, they knew that much. So now you're saying, okay, get in the truck, drive home. Oh, by the way, you'll be riding team because the trainer's going to be sleeping when you drive. 
Well, it's I mean, not even that. I mean, I mean, they don't even care if the you know if you read it in the, the deep part of it, they want to have the right to put that person in a truck, whether they're with a team driver or not, and send them to you know send them back to their home record so they can get their hard CDL to put in their wallet. No, that person has no business being in that truck. Number one, this time of year, especially it's winter time. You're going to send a rookie green rookie out there in a truck by themselves to go home to get their hard copy of their license and they're going to drive basically on a their their CDLP which is commercial license permit I don't want somebody out there that graduated at school at two o'clock in the afternoon and the roads are icing over like they are here right now and have them out in, a, in an 80,000 pound truck that's foolish right well I mean the way it's written okay the trainer would be with them but it's they're they're going to be run, running team, so he's going to be sleeping. It's right. really so right off the bat. They make it sound like it's so the driver can start making money right away, um, which I mean that's just ludicrous. But anyway, uh, it, it, let me um, go ahead. Yeah, I, I want to get back. Investment. I want to get back on track with this entry level driver training advisory committee, and and then I need to get some calls. I've got I've got a bunch of hands over here. Okay. Um, when you look back at, um, I hear this from a lot of drivers that, um, you know, the reason this minimum training requirements hasn't been established all these years, I mean, if even if you go back to uh, 1985 when we had the uh, Office of Motor Carriers under what was in the Federal Highway Administration, and... Um, they issued they issued a curriculum for training tractor trailer drivers. It included 208 hours of actual driving, 92 hours of on off street driving, and 116 hours on actual streets. And then comments submitted to the administration at that time by the big motor carriers argued that it would just be too expensive to train drivers. So right. it really, like you said earlier, it boiled down to money. And what I hear about hear from a lot of drivers now today is unlike ELDs, unlike sleep apnea, uh, there's no money to be made in establishing this minimum training requirement. So what what do you see if you were to be the member on the committee on this LDAC, LTAC meeting? <laughs> yeah, we'll come what up would with be, we'll come up with letters. Yeah. Yeah, I hate these letters, but what what what. Where where would you begin to combat this? Uh, you know the the almighty dollar you know issue. You know it's just too expensive to train drivers. It isn't too expensive to train drivers. Uh, investment. You're investing. You're investing into your company. Um, you know if you had to go out there and you had to pay you know somebody uh, in a program to one of the things that I'm I'm a big. Well, first of all, you, the very first thing you got to do is you got to classify drivers as skilled labor. Uh, you, you know, you got to give them some type of a you know classification to where uh, you know they like any other skilled labor, like a plumber, electrician, stuff like that. And what you would do is you would use like an apprentice program. But the major carriers need to get out of the trucking business or the truck driving school business. That's first of all because yeah. nobody nobody guides that. Nobody watches what's happening. I mean, you know, you got people advertising online that'll get you your CDL in three days. That's not two hundred hours. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. you're getting a CDL. You don't have that minimum requirement. Now, you take like PTDI schools, they do use that curriculum, and they do follow that. 
But one of the things I would like to see is invest in the future because you've got to spend money to retain drivers. And the more you, the better trained a driver is, the better understanding of the company and how he works and the investment put into it, you can train and put, you know, approximately six to eight drivers for the cost of one tractor trailer that has a major accident where there's liability issues involved because, let's face it, you know, they're trying to raise the insurance levels now so people that are in claims can get millions of dollars. Well, you know, instead of wrecking a truck and a claim of a million dollars, why don't you take a half of that and put it in towards the training of and, and specialized training of your drivers and an apprentice program that they can earn themselves through the system, and then they would be, you know, you're in, you would get a return on your investment instead of losing money because there's too many inexperienced drivers that are out there in conditions they have no business in and are wrecking trucks, and they're costing tons and tons of money. Yeah. All right. Hey, let me let me grab some callers here. I'll take them in order. They've been holding on here for a while. But Texas, area code 210, welcome to the show. Hi, good evening, Jeff. How's everybody doing? Oh, hey, hey, hey Jeff. Good, Jeff. How are you? Not too bad. How are you? How are you doing, Rich? I haven't talked to you in a long time. I know, my friend. We haven't. How you been? I'm doing all right, man. Just now you're going crazy. Oh, you forgot to announce one of your uh, credentials, Larry. I need to... I need to put that out there for you, my friend. You're well, we're going to do that. We're going to get together and update it. So we'll, play, we'll no, post no. it so everybody can copy and paste it. No, no, no. I'm going to yeah. get it right now, man. You're the, you the vice president of Billy Bob's Chicken Express down there in Bodart, Alabama. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do that I, I commercial can, I can for wear you. chicken lights with the best of them. I know you could, man. I'm not going to put that commercial down on the radio like I did last time. My boys could not take it right now, man. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, you make a good point about there needs to be some kind of structure training like there is, like, say, for example, with the uh, airline pilots where they uh, actually have to have so many hours uh, of cockpit time or whatever and things of that nature. I mean, uh, that needs to take place. I mean, the company I work for, the only uh, – We'll hire uh, new drivers that come out of uh, PTDI certified schools at the top of their class, and uh, then they have to uh, be with a trainer for eight weeks, and there's no team driving involved. It's, uh, you know, the trainer is always in the passenger seat the whole time that they're driving. So it's a little bit different uh, set of standards with uh, some carriers than there are with others, particularly with the one I work for. It's a little bit different. I mean, we're pretty safety minded. The last thing we want to do is have any kind of. Uh, major accidents and the lawsuits that could arise from, you know, because that does cost us, you know, cost any company a lot of money. I agree with you on that. So I think if they were to uh, go to uh, a set uh, structure of training, you know, where someone has many hours behind the wheel, that'd be a big help. But right now the bean counters, all they're looking at is the initial upfront cost. They're not looking at the long-term potential uh, losses that could take place to the lawsuit. Absolutely. And that's like I was telling uh, you know, Alan and Donna earlier we were talking. You know, one of the things I've done a study on, and I've set it up with two of the clients that I work with currently right now, is we do an apprentice program where, you know, we have a 12-point checkoff sheet. And as the person gains experience in each one of the 12 categories, they're checked off as successfully passing that and moving on to the next one. And you're right, it's very similar uh, setup to – uh, what the FAA requires of pilot training. And it's funny, we always get assimilated in Washington with airplane pilots, but yet our yep. training, we don't even have a training standard. It's kind of an oxymoron, you know? 
Yeah, exactly. I was going to suggest to my too that you might want to probably uh, get on board with you. That does have recent driving experience. Even though I'm not proponent of OIDA by any means anymore, uh, Scott Grainers would be a good person with recent driving experience who's not working for OIDA. He would actually probably be able to give you some uh, input based on his recent experience. I mean, because people, uh, you know, like Todd Spencer, he hasn't driven trucks since 1973, so he's been kind of out of it for a while. You have more right. recent experience than he does, and then uh, you also have other people that can probably get better, have current driving experience that can probably uh, speak very well on this issue also. Well, well not only that, that, but I think Richard also deals um, daily because of his work, and that's, you know, he, he, he hears from the drivers daily about the different regulatory issues going on. I think that's that's a huge plus in understanding um just the fact that it is a regulation that's being that's being devised created so it's it's like okay you you've had driving experience you understand the regulations the compliance what needs to be done you deal with training uh as part of your job i mean it's it's like a no brainer to to us yeah well the thing is uh, a lot of times there is you know, Rich, I'm pretty sure can attest to this, but uh, there's a little bit of a disconnect between uh, certain people that uh, work in offices and people that are out here driving a truck. I mean, uh, there's a little bit of a disconnect between them because a lot of times they, uh, they'll have their own theory about what's going on, but as far as the drivers go, uh, especially those that can articulate the facts, we have a certain, uh, we have a direct perception from uh, that's reality based. We see what goes on out here. So it's just, uh, you know, I think there needs to be a little better connection to what's been going on. Well, that's what people have been saying. Well, their comments, oh, you know, the the people in, in, in Washington, they don't know. They make these rules. They have no idea. And it's true. So that's why, you know, you need people who, who have done it and they're in all sides of it and can really relate to it. And, I mean, I, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of driver nominations going in there. Um, I, just, I just have that feeling. I have a feeling, too, but... Uh, hey, thanks, Jeff. I want to try to get everybody in here on the line. Let's go. We'll go to New York, then North Dakota, then Wisconsin. But uh, New York area code six zero seven. You're you are up. Welcome to the show. Hey, Don and Alan. It's Tom. How are you doing today? I'm good. Hey, good, Tom. Uh, hey, Richard. Uh, hey, Tom. The question. The question that I've got that you mentioned a little bit ago, Alan, and I think it was you. And maybe I misheard you. Uh, that there's no money in it for the carriers as far as the training goes. Uh, a lot of carriers out there, at least I know for the school that I went to, and it was an independent school, they got a certain stipend from the government for uh, both, I think, state and federal for every trainee that completed training and then went and stayed to a carrier for a certain length of time. In addition, the person that went to that car- carrier uh, the carrier also got an additional stipend for hiring that person um, for, once again, hitting certain anniversary retention dates. And, and I've heard numbers, I don't know how true this is, that they're getting as much as $50,000 per trainee for each new trainee they hire. So that's one of the reasons why there is um, interest, for lack of a better word, in keeping this churn going because it's a way for them to make money. It's another profit stream. 
Sure. It is. It's part of the business model. I think Alan wrote about it a long time ago, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I brought that out a long, long time ago. I've written about it, talked about it. In fact, I think, uh, I mean, you can search askthetrucker.com and probably find it, but I I gave links to the $50,000, just like you were saying, and and it's really, really difficult to dig up and find. I mean, they keep it really, really secret. But I did find, I think, I don't have the article in front of me, but I did find it, I think it was like 15 or 16 programs to that effect. And well, I saw one uh, that I, I saw one that said it was up, could even be up to 150000 but I couldn't really verify it, so I just stayed with the 50000 But we've talked about the the government subsidies to these schools and carriers per per trainee. I can give you this one right here. Back in October, the Federal Motor Carrier awarded $1 million to help train and place veterans in careers of commercial drivers. And to give you an example, Florida, South Florida State College got 58000 Joliet Junior College in Joliet, Illinois got 165 Century College in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, ninety one. Crowder College in Nisha, Missouri, got uh, 72000 Metropolitan Community College in Omaha, 47. Uh, Pennsylvania, North- Northampton County Area Community College, 134000 uh, Pennsylvania also got uh, the Sage Corporation in Camp Hill, $249,968. So we're talking a quarter of a million just for that one place. Texas, Lone Star College, North Harrison, Houston, 73, and Tidewater Community College in Norfolk, 170. So by saying that, you're looking at these programs that are out there for veterans alone. So there is money going into it. Plus, besides the $1 million, every veteran has veteran funding that they can get uh, uh, grants from the federal government to go to a truck driving school. And that's just veterans. So, you know, the companies, yeah. they, they don't have to put any money out for this. So they may have to no, put there's... a couple. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I'm just saying, I mean, yeah, there's uh, we've done a lot of research on this and blogged about and talked about. I mean, there's a lot of lot of money in the government subsidies and things like that. And even if it's one big lump sum, like to some of these places you were saying, I mean, it's like Tom had said. I mean, the, the, these these schools, these motor carrier schools. I mean, they're getting uh, even if it's ten, fifteen thousand dollars per trainee. Uh, yep. And and Richard, you know very well that's where that's where the turnover comes from. They keep turning they keep turning those students out to keep to keep that uh, government subsidy money rolling in, and and that's and it's a fact. You know, that's just the way it is. It is a fact, and it and it's a shame because, you know, this is one of the situations that you have with major carriers that are have their own schools or associated schools. You know, they're getting they're you know they're getting students in there that are trying to make a better life for themselves, and you know they're putting out these money, and they say we'll pay for your school if you stay with us, and then once they put the person out of the school and they put them in the truck, and then they treat them like dog meat, and then they turn right around and the person quits. Well, the trucking company's not out any money because then they go personally after the driver to pay the bill. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, when I first started putting all that out years ago, people were asking me, well, well, you know, why why do they end up staying, you know, three months, six months, or however long? Well, there's, there's parts of those government subsidies that says 
the, that the, the trainee has to stay with the company for a certain period of time, whether it's three months or six months. And it's really amazing when you really start looking at the turnover rate, it's right within that time period where yep. the, pe- the people start disappearing because the companies keep them on long enough to, uh, uh, you know, hold, hold up their part of the bargain, you know. Okay, well, yep. okay, this guy's been here. You know, you hear what I'm saying. So, and, yeah, or else they don't get paid. They don't right, get, their, right. they don't get their, their subsidy. So that's why we see, you know, like the six-month period, three, three to six-month period, because that's the time the government subsidies state the trainee has to stay with the company. So it's, it's, really, it's really fascinating. Uh, Tom, Tom dropped off, but I, oh, he's back here, so I wanted to let him uh, finish what he was saying. Then I've got to get to North, North Dakota and Wisconsin. But, Tom, you're back on. Go ahead. Thank you, Alan. Talking about disappearing there. Uh, but, but anyways, to finish up a couple of points, the one thing that I think is encouraging, there are a couple of groups that are working, for example, on developing training curriculum specifically towards the wellness side. I'm not exactly sure where that is in the development stage, so I, I don't want to say anything more on that because I'm not sure if that, that's ready for public release yet. But I know it's in the health research I've been doing, uh, both for my website and for, for NADA, uh, there is some people that are actually working on that and working to get that into the training program. So that, that I think, is a, a major encouraging news. Uh, yeah, that the is other good. Thing, though, the other thing, though, that I, I think is a factor that needs to be looked at is with the training uh, standards is also the recruitment standards because right now, if you look at a lot of these job centers across the country, you've got somebody that gets laid off from a mass layoff. You walk in. And it's like, have you considered being a truck driver? You can see the country, be home every weekend, make $50,000 or first year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and pretty much anybody in the industry knows that for your at least your first one to two, probably even three years, that's not realistic at all. And I think some of it is, is they need to start qualifying the candidates to come in to make sure they understand, A, what they're getting into, the challenges of the industry. And I think one of the things that's going to help the training is if we're recruiting a better grade of candidate to begin with. Yeah, uh, it's good. And I would just add to that, I think they ought to establish some kind of standards for recruiting tactics. You know, just like you're saying, you know, uh, uh, go ahead, Richard, or was that you? That was Tom. Well, that was yeah, Tom. That yeah, that basically ties in with exactly what I was trying to say, is that it's recruiting right. standards, but, but also, you know, if they're being honest and realistic, saying this is what you're going to get, which brings right. up the, the, the big elephant in the room is driver pay. You know, they're getting all this money during, at different points during the tra- training thing. Maybe they need to start an apprentice program where you're actually paying the person to learn and actually paying them a living wage instead of, you know, indentured servants' wages for the first two months and throwing them off in a truck. Right, right. And, and it, it, it really does all that. come about money. I mean, it, it, that's always the bottom line, just funny, follow the money is the saying. Yeah. But uh, let me go to – oh, Tom, no, did you have an announcement? Say, oh, Go ahead, Rich, while we're on this track. Yeah, go ahead, Richard. No, no, I mean, what I was going to say was it's just, you know, here here again, investment in the future, you have to invest your money wisely. Do you want to invest your money paying a lawyer and paying, you know, a settlement on an accident? 
because of an unskilled driver, or would you rather spend that money or, you know, one-tenth of that money, put it in the pocket so the guy and the gal behind the steering wheel can make a living and live off of that money and have them train better and not have to worry about having a million, two million dollar lawsuit against you? Well, you would have, don't you think they, they should have thought about all this? I mean, I don't know. It just amazes me, I guess. I don't know. They must not be thinking about it too much, Donna, because they're putting them in the seats and they're even asking for exemptions. Hey, Richard, one more quick question. is: I, I've been hearing some rumors lately that some of these training companies would almost rather have the new drivers in the seat because they're figuring out when they're in an accident, statistically speaking, it's more likely to be a lower-speed accident, which will result in a less severe crash. Well, they're seeing their, their senior drivers, and they have five and more years of experience, being involved in these horrific crashes and things like that. So they're kind of looking at it, all right, we put a newbie in the truck up to whatever year it's going to cost us X amount, and then if we put, and maybe we'll have more crashes, it'll be smaller amounts. But when we get the more experienced drivers, when they have one, it's a Lulu. Um, I, I would say that's probably almost kind of like a urban legend, because you know if you look at the percentage of accidents that are actually caused by the drivers versus caused by other outside sources, it really doesn't make a difference if you got one to five years or you got five to fifteen years. If you're riding down the road and somebody pulls out in front of you, it's going to be a Lulu. So, you know, we know right now that 80% or greater of the accidents are caused by the four-wheelers and not by the drivers making mistakes. But the ones that drivers are making mistakes are usually what we call the dumber ones or where, you know, they drive over something or, you know, make a wrong turn. But the problem of it is there's no real set standard of investigation that places a driver by the amount of time they've been behind the wheels as far as related to the crash causation. There you go. And and it, that's really what needs to be done, and I don't know how they can do that. They can't even determine fault. Where it's are they going to – why don't they have stats, Richard, of drivers of less than one year when they're figuring out, you know, all these stats they have with, you know, um, concern about safety, why don't they do some kind of correlation? Surely somebody – in Washington has thought of this. I mean, I can't uh, imagine they haven't. I have never heard that brought up in any conversation in my time in Washington. Well, and that's it's real a, interesting. It's a relevant because I, point. I, yeah. It's real interesting because I had I had mentioned uh, the Federal Highway Administration uh, issuing a proposed rulemaking back in 1976 to improve training for commercial drivers. And the reason they did that was because in 1976, the data was showing that drivers were having more accidents during their first few months of employment. Huh. Right. Where and did those sudden, stats? Disappeared. Yeah, where did Exactly. Go? Why? I want to know why. Yeah, and let me, let me give credit to, I've, I've got this history printed out, and then I and then I got to get to North Dakota and Wisconsin. But I want to give credit to this timeline of history for this rulemaking issue, I, I, I printed it out. It's by uh, by David Tanner, who's the associate editor for Landline Magazine, and he put a timeline together uh, back in April of two of this year uh, mm-hmm. relating to the entry level training. So it goes from 1935 all the way up to today, and that's where I'm getting this information. And in 1976, they had the data that showed that the accidents were occurring the first few months of employment. So, uh, you know, Donna, you said, 
you know, well, you would think, or whoever said, they, you would think that Washington would have thought of that. Well, they they had it in 76 at minimum. And for some reason, they decided, hmm, we don't want to include this anymore. Oh, let's let's burn this. Let's throw this in the trash can and burn it. So, uh, hey, let me go to North Dakota, and then we'll grab uh, Wisconsin. Thanks for holding on. But North Dakota, area code 701, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, yeah, we, how you doing, Deb? I'm fine. I have a few questions to ask. I'm sorry you guys were having such a really great conversation and I'm going to be Debbie Downer. I would okay, like come know, on. <laughs> no, Let us have no, it. It's, just, it's, it's something that you all haven't brought up yet and I think it's very important before we nominate people or even before people start thinking about, hey, I want to do this. Yeah, it sounds all great and fantastic and everything, but we have jobs out here. You know, just like you were talking about, there's no drivers on the Mix Act Committee. Uh, I wonder why. We have jobs. It is very hard well, to I in mean, Washington for those meetings. Now, this, this new committee that's being formed, are we going to have to take time off from work to attend a meeting? What is What are the goals of this? Um, what, you know, make sure that the people that you're nominating are people that can actually speak the English language without dropping an F-bomb in every other sentence. You know, you don't well, want I think people I, that, that whose vocabulary is not up to par because the only thing they're going to do is they're going to dismiss them. You know, well, I don't. That's why, like Jeff brought up Scott Brenner. I would love to nominate Scott, and I put in a call to him because I want to ask him if he would be willing to do this. But there again, too, what does it entail? What does this entail sitting on this committee? Well, uh, well, I, I had read it earlier. I don't have it in front of me, but I know that it was for like a six-month period. You would be required to to meet, and maybe Richard knows because, I, like I said, I don't have it in front of me. But for like a six-month period, you would have to you would have to meet, you know, two or three times. Um, I, I don't have it in front of me. Two or three times a uh, a week or a month? No, every uh, a month or every couple months, but. There is definitely you have to meet, you know, a certain amount of time, and it's for a pretty good lengthy period. I just don't have it in front of me. I'm so. sure, too, it would involve, you know, a, a lot of uh, interaction, either at webinars or phone conversations. And then where, like where are these meetings at? Where are the meetings at? Washington. In Washington. Yeah. 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 It's going to be I'm in Washington. I'm working in Texas. I'm working in it, Texas. Absolutely. Well, that's and, the thing. And, it's got to be, you and, know. Well, I, I I agree with her. I mean, the first thing I thought about drivers is, well, how are they going how are they going to do it? They're driving, so that's not really a mm-hmm. bringing it down. I mean, I had thought about the same thing. It's just yeah. too bad that they couldn't make this more driver friendly. Instead of meeting in Washington, meet in the middle of the U.S. Meet in a place well, where it's actually accessible to people who are out here. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that I mean, Rich, Rich lives an hour from there, so hopefully he's going to get on the committee. Hey, 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 I, I have it right here. I have it right here in front of me. The The committee is expected to meet from February to June for approximately one to two days every two to three weeks. Right. Okay, so yeah. I'm looking, I'm reading it right off of a, Right off the regulations.gov site, so that's just one one of the criteria. So uh, 
February, March, April, May, June, five months, one to two days every two to three weeks. Yeah. So that would be hard for a driver. <laughs> huh? yeah, that's another problem, like she said. I agree with her. You know, it, it's something that, you know, and if you work for somebody, is somebody going to give you time off to go to that meeting? Who's going to reimburse your expenses as well? You know, I mean. That's, that's I, another point. Yeah. I mean, I'm eating this myself, so, you know, but, but right. that's just. Because I'm here, I'm close by. But, yeah, now there's nothing that says, Deb, though, that they may do like they did when they had the listening sessions, that they may have meetings throughout the country for the committee. Um, you know, I've seen them do that, what they did with the, the listening. But usually when it's a committee, subcommittee to MixAC or to the FMCSA, then it's used, they usually do it in Baltimore or in Washington, and they do it in one of the most expensive hotels over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> I stay down the street and walk. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, I I did ask Richard uh, before before we announced it, right, Rich? Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I I think that's a good point. You know, I, I've heard. You know, it, 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 and we've talked about that before. It's very difficult. How how would driver be able to make make it there you know one or two times a week every two to three weeks for a five month period but uh i mean if they're willing to do that you know then you know go for it i guess uh wisconsin area code 920 thanks for holding on we finally got you on here welcome to the show hello jeff clark how you doing oh hey, hey jeff. jeff hey all right never talked never talked to richard before no. Really? We 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 do a lot of tapping, no. but we don't do much talking. No, we do. No, <laughs> no, no. We, well, we, go we ahead. The floor is yours. You've got the I floor. Go ahead. I have absolutely zero problem with subsidizing community colleges to educate commercial drivers, and I think that's the way we should be doing it. Because well, you know, I was going to say that when Richard was giving all that money out to all those colleges, <laughs> I'd rather see it go there. And, and, Alan, you wrote that in your book, too. Oh, um, I don't have a problem with colleges. I have a problem with the, the, the motor carrier CDL schools. The mills. And the mills. Yes. And the mills. Yeah, yes. the mills. Yeah, yes. no, colleges. Yeah, great. I don't have a problem at all. But go that, ahead, Jeff. It, 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 and I think that's the way we should push it. Because what happens, and, and, and you look at it, and I've never seen a stat because they don't keep a stat, of how what the median life expect, median career expectancy is of, of a driver once he leaves driving school. We know that the average career expectancy is 3.2 years. So then you get the guys out here that, like me, who've been out here for almost 30 years that screw up the average. And I think we're losing mm-hmm. 90% of our people within the first two years. And yep. the, average, the, average is, the average is 14 to 18 months. Before somebody, after a, a freshly trained person from the time they go in and get their uh, classification, they, got, they got, uh, get their CDLs, there's a 12 to 14 month, up to 18 months, depending. But the thing about it is that person could actually go and work for several, three, four different companies in that period of time until they just get frustrated and leave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Does anybody see a problem with that? Absolutely. Yeah. The the uh, and that's why I think what happens, is especially if we if we're using and this is where I'll, I'll stand arm in arm with Richard. The problem is we shouldn't be having carriers be driving schools. 
Uh, because what it does is it creates an indentured servant for the yep. for the characters. And, right. and exactly. that's what happens. Is I can that, give you a perfect example of that, Jeff. Swift in Tennessee. I mean, look at how many CDL drivers that went to the Swift Driving School in Tempest, Tennessee that the uh, federal government revoked their CDLs. I mean, what does that say? There, there was a perfect example of it. You know, <clears throat> they were sitting there and going through. They had the state, of, the state of Tennessee had a motor vehicle department office set up at the truck driving school where these people were getting their CDLs by going in and saying, we're enrolled in Swift. Here's your CDL. Go out there and let the trainers, you know, teach you. And when you yeah. come to find out, they weren't teaching. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah. That, that leads to the other problem. Who's training them? A guy that's I, I think the, <laughs> <laughs> Well, my my first driver trainer, my 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 four weeks into him, into training with with the company after I got my CDL at my three week driving school back in 1988. You know, I backed up once in a month. Right. Um. He was constantly on the way back. He was gonna he was gonna leave me someplace because he was angry at me because I said you can't pull into that parking lot. And he called me a dumbass college kid because I said he couldn't pull into that parking lot. I said, well, I think it might have more to do with the chain across the park across the driveway than me going to college. And he didn't <laughs> like that. And. and and then I got back when I got back, and mind you, this was in 1988, which is 26 years ago. Well, the only reason we're keeping you out here is because there's a driver shortage. Yeah. That was 1988. Right. But that's the – and I go back to what Richard said with the, with the life expectancy at a driving school being 14 to 18 months. We had 12 people in my driving school class. And – Everyone was gone within three years, except for me. And the and, and the drag the people that were teaching at the driving school, I remember having to stand up because he was trying to teach. And mind you, I've got a degree in accounting and economics and all that other mathematical gizmo stuff. And he was trying to teach people how to do logbooks, and he couldn't teach them how to do logbooks. So I remember this kid, me, stood up and taught the class how to do logbooks. It was, and, and so I think that we have to get this out of the carriers and the CDL mills and get the training in the community colleges. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what, I've yeah, been involved with PTDI. I agree. I, I, I've been dealing, I've been <clears throat> for years dealing with PTDI schools, and I can tell you this much, the, the curriculum and the program coming out of there, they have major carriers lined up to get those kids and, and, and new uh, graduates. They don't at these mills. These people at the mills are showing up at the companies and they're being recruited, and they're not. The schools aren't actually going in and to the to the mills themselves. We know that, but they are the PDTI but, but Rich, schools. But Richard, I would. So say you're saying the mills are the PTI schools? No, 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 oh, okay. no, 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 no. I've I've, I've talked about PD. PTDI too. I mean, they're very good. I think the issue with uh, and OIDA has been pushing this issue for a long time as well, as far as setting up this entry level driver training, is that there there is no 
on-road training, and that's what they're wanting to nationalize and get the get the actual real-life on-road training uh, in the in the curriculum for you know everybody. Right. 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 Do you agree? And 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 you need yeah. to set a standard. It's like the standard was set, like you said earlier, with the X amount of hours on the streets, X amount of hours on the roads, and everything else. That's just lost. I mean, it's gone. It it it's not even you know. Uh, part of it now, when you can go for $200 and somebody advertises on YouTube for 200 bucks, you can come to my school and in three days I can give you your CDL. No, you can give me to pass my skills test. You did not make me a truck driver. You did not make me a commercial operator. You made me a person that passed the skills test. And it's funny because you're probably right next to where the motor vehicle department is and they know you. So there's well, a lot of blame well, to be spread around here. Well, maybe well, it's the skills test, right? That needs to be. I mean, what? No, let me let me look. Uh, uh, you know, again, I'm looking at this history timeline by David Tanner of Landline Magazine. It's really it's really excellent. I mean, when President Reagan signed in the Commercial Motor Vehicle Safety Act in 1986, that was only based on knowledge and skills testing, but no training behind the wheel. Now, <clears throat> in 2005. A federal appeals court for the District of Columbia Circuit under Judge uh, Harry T. Edwards ordered the FMCSA to rework its 2004 rule because that judge ruled that that in order for a driver training program to be adequate, it had to include on-road training. And and and. and that's that's the major issue. You know, people you know people will say they'll they'll write me and say, well. I mean, there there is minimum standard, but it's inadequate because it doesn't include on-road training, and that and that's the major push. That and making it making it nationally standardized. Right. You agree, right. Richard? In other words, you can't just go. You, if if they want to do that, and you and you want to rent a truck to get your CDL, then you take your certificate of training where you've qualified in all those areas, taken in, and then you can rent a truck to go down and get your skills test. But to sit there and oh, just yeah. say you can walk in here for two hundred bucks and we'll get you your CDL, no. Right. They need to. So is know, that now? Is the skills? With, yeah. Is is the skills test national? Is it a? Uh, standardized test who gives the skills test is it the the carriers is it the training school is it the state who is state it state motor vehicle state motor vehicle okay you go to your state motor vehicle and that's where you take your test and in a lot so of is cases, each state different appointments huh you don't have to walk is in there each... with anything you walk you walk in you take your written test and then once you pass your written test, you make an appointment to come back with a truck. They run you through a course, and then when you get done with the course, they come in and say, okay, you got your CDL. They don't check on them but and see if you that... had 200 hours or had 140 hours or nothing. There's nothing that well, they you don't, don't even... do. That's a big issue. But you don't I even have to. But... Go ahead, Jeff. That's important to have a... I think that's important to have a state test. I mean, yes, you have to have a certain amount of times, but what I worry about, too, is, Who's giving the test? Does, <laughs> right. does the test giver have a vested interest in passing the driver? So I think you're right yeah, with, I, the, with the, you know developing the standards, and maybe the schools could be bringing the trucks to the state testing facility. But I really think we should be having state testers. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, the the key word is it has to be nationalized. I mean, you don't you don't even have to go to a CDL school to get your CDL. I mean, if you can go in and pass a written test, 
And then if you have a if you have a buddy that'll loan you his truck and you go down to the DMV and take your road test, you've got your CDL. Now you're probably not going to get hired anywhere, unless unless right. uh, Uncle unless Uncle Joe owns a, a a ten truck trucking company, which which still happens, but it, it's the it's the it's the need for having a nationalized standardized requirement that I think that's the key word to all this so well it's like we said earlier Alan you know you don't become a plumber just because you know how to put you know pipe dope on pipe and stick it together you know there's you've got to <laughs> understand what the codes are you have to go through apprentice programs you know you don't become a boiler maker just because you know how to weld you have to go through an apprentice program but these are all skilled labor jobs and the first thing we have to do is we have to figure that our drivers on these highways are highly skilled and, the, and and are probably more skilled than the guy with the PVC pipe and the pipe dope, you know. So, you know, but if we don't have no minimum training standard and there's nothing to go by to determine what qualifies a person to even take their CDL test. Right. Uh, hey, hey Tom, I opened up your line there because it had a little noise, but it sounds pretty good right now. If you if you wanted to jump in, I wasn't for sure. Uh, I, I'm kind of sitting back back here and listening to this, and and it, it's kind of one of those things. There's a lot, a lot of interesting points and viewpoints on this. Uh, I, the one thing that I think is interesting is I had an opportunity a little while back to talk with Dr. Belzer, who's um, did, did the book Sweatshops and Wheels. And he's actually an advocate for a different set of reasons for not making trucking a skilled labor, and it has to do with uh, the financial side on it. I'm not the best person to explain it. Uh, it's one of those cases. I know he's done some writing on it for those who really want to look at it. But really what a lot of these issues come down to is it's money. You know, And as Henry Albert is famous for saying, it's a pain-to-pay ratio. You know, how yeah. much pain are you willing to take? And, you know, at a certain point, these companies have to realize uh, that they're long-term better served by keeping the drivers in the seat. Because if you've got a happy driver that's representing your company well, one, he's presenting a better image of the, of the industry to the public, which may long-term help with some lawsuits and perception, but two, if you've got a driver that's going into the customer and has an attitude and is upset and angry and everything else, why is that customer going to select your company the next time? Where if you have a, a driver that has a positive attitude, is willing to go in and go out of their way to make sure that company, that customer is happy, you're more likely to use that company again. So if you've got a, a driver who has experience, who has a good attitude, you need to be figuring out how to keep them, not looking to hire his replacement you know, for the next six to seven, however long, when that guy starts burning out because of lack of pay and other issues. Right. right. And, you, and there's another right. there's another indicator there that doesn't get included very often. When they came up with the new CSA program and they came up with the accountability of the drivers and holding accountability, you know, against with the company on, on violation, similar violations, et cetera, that's also drove a lot of people out of the industry because, you know, uh, their frustration takes over when they get caught on the scale or whatever, and they get rode up for it over something that's a company's fault, but yet they're held accountable for it. You know, you're only going to put up with that so long, and then after a while you're going to say, hey, I don't need this anymore. This is ridiculous. Or 
because of the and especially in the category of the mega carriers, you get somebody that that you know all of a sudden the DOT comes in and does a intervention, and they see where you have a you know a good good older driver that's been with you a long time. That means nothing. But the fact is, they say, okay, the corrective action plan, you may have to get rid of some people because they happen to have some scores against them. And, you know, you get rid of a guy. Well, then once you get rid of him, it's like the old day with Dak. You know, he gets he gets a, that scarlet red letter on him, and nobody wants him. Right. Right. Hey, but, hey, the time one. Oh, I was going to go ahead. For a minute. <laughs> but that's yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Driver response. <laughs> that's where it becomes a driver responsibility. Say, look, I'm not going to run for this carrier, and that's right. where we've got to use our leverage. Is you know, and I've seen carriers. I mean, the carriers I've gone up to. Every time a trailer comes into the yard, it gets inspected. These trailers are getting inspected every two or three weeks, like you know, mechanics. And it, well, it didn't good. used to be that way. So, so that's kind of right. what CSA has done, in my opinion. But yeah, drivers well, have I'm- to take responsibility for themselves. I'm not saying it didn't. What I'm saying it is, and, and I totally agree with you, but because of the, the system the way it is, it's a tainted system, we have cops out there rating stuff because there's no accountability on enforcement, only on the driver and the company. Oh, yeah. So the, so the DOT can rate anything they want, and the, only, and the only retribution you have is to follow data queue, which you're going to call the officer that wrote you up and ask him <laughs> to get rid of the fine. So that's <laughs> okay. not going to work either. Don't get me started. Yeah, yeah you get me started. Well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I've written many times that we should get rid of the data key system. You know, right. It's a conviction. What are you convicted of? Right. You well, know, I mean, and, and that, the, that, the federal motor carrier can't even determine fault in an accident. All recordable accidents go against you and your company, and here you are sitting in a traffic light and somebody runs into you. Now in your, on the driver's PSP, it shows where he was involved in an accident. There's not a disclaimer that says it wasn't his fault. Exactly. You know, so that's... So, uh, you know, they, uh, I just Nothing want to ask Jeff a question. <laughs> Jeff, you said to get rid of the data queue, but if you get rid of the data queue, um, how do people, you know, uh, contest something? The courts. Oh, okay. I see. Go right to court. Is it, well, they did okay. change that rule you, where if you beat it in court, they have to remove it. Yeah, and that's what it is. But what do you do but for also, a warning? But, yeah, and, or an upcharge. I yeah. mean, I got convicted of, of my, my only moving violation I've had in 26 years was he clocked me to 11 miles an hour over in a construction zone. Well, I think, you know, I think I wasn't in the construction zone when I got clocked, you know, when I got, when I got timed. So let me throw, this, the, the let me throw this at you with that scenario right quick. So you get caught at 11 mile and over in a construction zone, but your company had 17, 18 other drivers in the last six months that got unsafe uh, driving basic uh, violations because of speeding. So now yours is going to be triple what, they, what you would have been after having your first ticket because of the company history of other drivers created a situation where your numbers, numbers are doubled and tripled. Why is that fair yes, to you? Yes, and, and, and I lost my lease. Yeah, I lost my lease over that, and it basically, you know, I could have gone to court, and and and, and the court said, well, you know, it looked at it and said, well, look, this guy's got a clean driving record. We'll give him a break and call, you know, give him a non-moving violation, which is what they did, and I took it, but then I, I lost my lease because right. it was a conviction, but it wasn't a conviction for speeding in a construction zone, you know, and it. And I had a, I actually talked to an Illinois DOT cop at uh, the Midwest Truck Show in Peoria one time, 
And he, he actually had the gall to say that to me that, look, sometimes courts take other things into consideration that they shouldn't. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's why we have courts. Yeah. You know, and, and well, let me yeah, ask you, I'm, I'm right, my, my time's winding down here. Let me get back on track on this entry-level driver training advisory committee, and then we've got to kind of wrap it up here. But let me ask you, Jeff, just real quick, because Deb brought up, a, she brought up a good concern. Uh, what's your views on, uh, as a driver being uh, nominated for this committee, uh, what's your views on a driver being able to meet meet the responsibilities of, of a committee member? Well, I've got to work on that. Uh, Trucking Solutions Group is going to nominate me. And, and I, you know, how much exactly am I going to be out? You know, as you know, personally, we've, we've had a little bit of a, a struggle here the last two months, uh, or this month and next month. And my, my bank account's been hit a little bit. And uh, and I'm, I'm looking to see if I can get somebody to um, help pay my way. Even just to pay my transportation, not to necessarily pay me. Because you know, like I guess I'm 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 an old guy and uh have had savings. So I could afford to take a little bit of a hit. You know, at this point, you know, I wanna make a difference in the industry because I see I see serious problems coming down the road. And, and right. I wanna right. confront it now. Well That's I'd like to see I both of you guys on there. Right. The industry's okay. been good to me. Well, I want to be well that's that's you know I I just want to say and and with that note okay and I I can't help it that I'm not pitching North American trucking alerts or anything but it's that kind of attitude the the people we have coming in uh, either as contributors or if I look at the members section are people like that who truly care about the industry I I feel like we're getting the finest of the finest. I want to just thank everybody who has offered to be a contributor, uh, writing, putting forth all their effort uh, to to help the industry. And I know Rich has been doing it for a long time also. I can name every single author and contributor um, on NADA, and you, you look at who they are, and they have a deep-rooted, uh, heartfelt conviction to help the industry. So I just had to bring that up and to thank everybody uh, right now for, for supporting that and for just being who you all are, um, which is just very sincere and, and you know, hardworking, committed people towards the industry. So I Yeah, I would just that. add for, you know, jump on over and visit NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com, read the articles from all these great contributors and everything, and it's a really good, positive motion that we're taking. Hey, Richard, uh, how can people get a hold of you if they need need uh, any advice on regulations and all that good stuff? They can go to my website. They can go to my webpage, www.tcrgconsulting.com, uh, and they can leave me a message there. They can go to my. They can send an email. Um, it's r e g g u y reg guy at comcast dot net. Shoot me an email. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm under TCRG Consulting as well as Richard Wilson. I'm also on, on uh, Twitter as RegGuy69. Um, be more than glad, you know, to talk to anybody. And one thing I want to say, if I do get this position, I want everybody to know that I want input from other people. I 
I want to be the driver that does it, that says it, and can can offer it, you know, and the voice for other truckers that can't make it over there, can't take two week two weeks weekends off, or you know, over the a period of time. That you know, I have no problem with presenting other people's point of views, you know, and stating it. And so, you know, if anybody has anything, I mean, everybody tonight had really, really good, you know, comments. And these are the kind of comments that need to be put out on the floor and be discussed. So if I can take them with me over there and present them on behalf of them, then that's what I want to do. That's the whole reason I want this is I want to be able to represent the people that can't park their truck at the Hilton in downtown Alexandria, you know, and speak for them. Because right now that's what they need is a voice, and that's what I've been trying to do. And, you know, when I go to these meetings and everything, I do it out of my pocket, and I speak on behalf of what everybody has to say. And I know it's not a great thing, but it's it's the least I can do to trade to help our business or help our industry. And that's right. one of the reasons, like we're getting sponsorship <coughs> money uh, for NADA. I mean, this is just one reason, you know, to have a voice in Washington to be able so you don't have to, you know, put it out of pocket um, because you know you're representing a, a a group of people, a huge group of people that uh, feel the same or very similar to to their voice of what they wish they could be there and say and and that's the whole the whole idea of it. So um no I really I really uh, appreciate everybody and and I'd love to see you and Jeff both on there. Uh boy would that that would really put a dent in that committee, huh? Well, yeah, I mean if it's anything like the Mixac meeting that has 20 members, I mean there's no reason why, you know, Richard, Jeff, others can't be on there. I mean that's what they need, you know, not not the uh, they need people out there with real real life experience and, and understanding the system but uh hey we'll we will follow it um you can uh nominate who you wish uh i think the links are just right up there in the uh show uh information and it just takes you right to the page where you can comment and nominate but hey i'm down to eight minutes got to take a quick break get our sponsor in here they'll be yelling at me and we'll be right back and one more thing tom, is tom still on the line yeah Okay, because I'm going to let him do his quick announcement. Okay, I got to get it done here. Let me get back. We'll get back. And we'll try to. We'll try to wrap it up. You're listening to Truth About Trucking live on Blog Talk Radio. Alan Smith will be right back. Heads up, truckers! Are you looking for deals on trucks? trailers, parts, or equipment, or maybe you need to sell something truck-related. Well, there's a great spot on the web where truckers deal with other truckers. No middlemen involved. That's why we call it TruckerToTrucker.com. There's no charge at all for looking, and if you want to place an ad for what you're selling, it's just $19.95, and it runs till it sells. So whether you're buying or selling, it's time to log on and take a look. TruckerToTrucker.com. Check it out. That's TruckerToTrucker.com. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here with the Truth About Trucking Live, and I want to tell you about TruckerLawyers.com. TruckerLawyers.com helps drivers with their legal needs, and they specialize in workers' compensation, trucking accidents, employment law, and other areas. 
but they never work for trucking companies. TruckerLawyers.com arms you with important information regarding workers' compensation and your legal rights, and they are also available to help you find assistance for additional legal issues. This includes determining how to get you the best benefits possible for your situation. The website TruckerLawyers.com is a resource where you can learn more about your legal rights as a driver. Feel free to continue the social media conversation by liking them on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash trucker lawyers and follow them on Twitter as at trucker lawyers. Call them to talk through your questions at 1-800-736-5503. And when you call truckerlawyers.com, be sure to mention that you heard about them on Truth About Trucking Live. There's a lot of copycats out there, but you know, there's only one. Truth About Trucking Live. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back, boy. Time cutting it close. Hey, Tom, you—I uh, know you had a pretty, pretty cool little uh, contest going on. You want to tell us about it? In yeah, two minutes, got, Tom. I'll be real fast. We've got three contests going on on my website, RoadTestedLiving.com. Uh, the simplest one: you sign up for the email list, one lucky prize package. There's the healthy selfie contest where you basically take a picture, put it on Facebook of you doing something healthy. It could be cooking, exercising, just ordering a healthy meal. Be creative. Points for originality. There's two prize packages there, one which is going to be by uh, popular choice, one by a panel of judges. And then we have the Road Pro Starter Kitchen. Uh, they've graciously uh, given a uh, cooler as well as some 12-volt appliances so to help drivers who want to start cooking on the truck and don't have the equipment to do it. They've given them the opportunity to start doing that. Um, i got to quickly thank Over the Road Apparel, ATBS, Team Run Smart, Rolling Strong, Lindsay Lawler, and Tough Tested, as well as uh, Road Pro for all their help with that, and obviously Donna and Alan and the team at NADA. And then lastly, Donna, I think I sent you a quick email. Um, I'm going to be filling in for Bob Perry this Saturday on the Rolling Strong conference call, call and we're going to have a very special guest who's a good friend of mine, Christina Schnazy from MakeItHappenUSA.org to remind us of the importance of bone marrow and stem cell donation, particularly at this time of year, uh, to give hope to families who don't have any help. Uh, so hope that well, I'll definitely try to make that, that call, Tom. Thank you very hey, much. can you I give everybody you your offer. website again? My website's RoadTestedLiving.com. You can find me on Facebook at RoadTestedLiving without the G, same place for Twitter, and you can email me directly at RoadTestedLiving at gmail.com. Okay, and that's road tested living. Now that's with the G or without the G? That is with the G. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. So that's Saturday on uh on uh you're gonna be doing Bob Perry's spot, huh? On Okay. Yes I yes I am. I sent you the phone number and an email if you want to give that real quick or you can throw that up on, on your webpage. I'd appreciate it. I'll put it up on the webpage. Okay, now I gotta do my speed uh Speaking <laughs> with North American Trucking Alerts, we're also having a random drawing for everybody who joins up as a member. Don't forget, membership is free for the month of December, so you don't want to miss that. Plus, your name will go in the hat for uh, well, Cobra. Uh, they have donated uh, a CDR 840 Drive HD dash cam. That'll be one of the gifts. And then a 29LX BTCB radio with Bluetooth. So we want to give a big thank you out to Cobra Electronics 
Um, they were one of our big sponsors at the um, Trucking Social Media Convention. They're great people. And get your membership, NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com. It's free. It's like getting a ticket to the random drawing, and you're going to love the website and what's coming coming up for you. It's only been out a week. Membership is rising. Um, just get in the forum. Start in, talking about all this stuff in the forum. So I look forward to seeing everybody at North American Trucking Alert. By the way, Tom is one of the contributors there, along with almost everybody who was uh, called in tonight. But you can go on the articles and see all the great people we have contributing their knowledge to this website. Um, I think that's it, Alan. Is that it? I think so. Yeah, we're only a week old. Uh, it's only been launched a week, and it's it's really on fire. Todd Dills wrote a great article. He, he took off from uh, one of Jeff uh, Clark's articles on Overdrive. So thank you, Todd Dills. Yeah. Now, what's Jeff Clark's website? I meant to get it from him. Uh, I don't think he has a website. I, I I I think he's with the Trucking Solutions Group. He's with Team Run Smart and Trucking Runners. Um, I think Jeff Barker's with Trucking Runners, and he also has independent truck stops. They all have a lot of Facebook pages. Um, okay. I can't remember them all. All right. We will catch it next time. Hey, special thanks to uh, Richard Wilson of TCRG Consulting for joining us this evening. Really appreciate it. Uh, check him out and find out more about uh, Richard and what he does and how to get a hold of him at tcrgconsulting.com. Thanks again to uh, all the callers, listeners, those in the chat room. Really appreciate it. So until next time, for Truth About Trucking Live, and on behalf of Donna Smith, I'm Alan Smith. Drive safe, and thanks for listening.